Hi, I'm Michael Azarad, Editor-in-Chief of the TalkHouse, and welcome to the TalkHouse Music Podcast. In the late 80s, when they were in college, Laura Cantrell and Mac McCon played in an indie rock band called Bricks. They released a cassette and a couple of singles, and then went their separate ways. Cantrell went on to become a very acclaimed country singer-songwriter, beginning with her 2000 debut album, Not the Tremblin' Kind, which became a big favorite of legendary BBC DJ John Peel. And another big fan, Elvis Costello, said, If Kitty Wells made Rubber Soul, it would sound like Laura Cantrell. Laura now has five studio albums, and her most recent, last year's No Way There From Here, is possibly her best. She'll have a compilation of her BBC sessions out next year, and she's playing a bunch of shows around the Northeast this November. After Bricks, Mac went on to found the perennially beloved indie rock band Superchunk, and, along with his Superchunk bandmate Laura Balance, he also founded the powerhouse indie record label Merge Records. Merge has, of course, released countless classic records by the likes of Spoon, Arcade Fire, Caribou, Neutral Milk Hotel, The Magnetic Fields, and many other excellent bands. Mac also plays with his band Portostatic and, earlier this year, released Non-Believers, his first album under his own name. You could read much more about Laura and Mac's friendship and music in Our Noise, The Story of Merge Records, the excellent oral history of the label by John Cook, with Mac McCon and Laura Balance. Even though Laura Cantrell and Mac McCon have taken different musical paths, they've not just maintained their long friendship. They've both stayed true to themselves and to their art, and carved out respected, sustainable careers. So we figured we'd put them together for a TalkHouse Music podcast, and have them catch up, reminisce, compare notes, and share a little wisdom. So here's Laura Cantrell and Mac McCon in conversation for the TalkHouse Music podcast. You know, I was thinking about this today because I was listening to, um, I was listening to your most recent record um, on the way on the plane, just to refresh myself. <laughs> That's cool. Um, which is also my favorite record of yours, um, and uh, it made me think about when uh, Laura and I met in college, and um, we played music together, and you played music but right. had you I had been in bands in high school right punk like punk bands and stuff but had you performed like did you have a band where you did you play play music per, like publicly before college no I was I was like a in you know the folk group at my church and stuff like that but I wasn't uh um hadn't ever occurred to me to to be in a band. I did have some friends that were musical in my high school, but there, even at where I went to school, there weren't a ton of bands. And so, uh, you know, I didn't, I didn't really, I didn't really think that that was an option necessarily until I went to, to school. But had you taken college. guitar lessons and stuff Mm-mm. like that? No, well, I had took piano. I was, oh, okay. a, I you took, took piano, piano and, you know, and starting and third you grade sang in church and, and, and stuff I sang like in church. that. I sang, you know, and my, I, I tried out for like the school play and didn't get in and you know that kind of stuff but right. um but uh yeah there wasn't a ton of like performing aspiration per se now I did do lots of other stuff that now I look back on it and I go that was like looking for some kind of platform like mm-hmm. debate club and you know student council and stuff right. like that where you get up and 
in front of people, but it wasn't musical, you know, and it, right. didn't, it didn't occur to me that that was where it would land at all. <laughs> because that's, so. I mean, to me, that's pretty fast then going from not even playing guitar right. to playing, like play, performing publicly country songs. Right. In, at, at, I was so at glad. The, uh, what was the name of the folk place? <laughs> oh, the Postscript at Columbia. The, the Post. The Postscript. Um, yeah. And then we did some other stuff like Fernald Folk Festival, <laughs> right? <laughs> the dorm folk festival at Columbia. Um, well, it, as soon as I start, I kind of started listening to records and oh, old country records with the idea that like this was a thing that I could be into. It, I, I, I just had the urge to play and sing too, and I. It, so I, I kind of sought that out pretty quickly. When I was th- listening to your record today, um, I was thinking about the fact that like I had already been in these bands and then but then when you and I started playing together that was a new that was a newish thing for you yeah that was sort of one of the first things I did um that and you know with a couple other folks on campus so and basically I couldn't play guitar so I was looking for whoever could (laughs) right and was interested in singing either letting me sing or singing with me something that was from that era of country music that I you know, had kind of honed in on that was interesting to me. So this 40s, 50s country thing. I mean, obviously you and I ended up doing a bunch of other stuff. Right. You know, it didn't, I wasn't trying to necessarily just recreate the past, but it was just something I just gravitated towards so strongly that I wanted to learn how to do it and and figure it out. So, um, yeah, that was very, that was kind of the beginning of me performing. Well, and but you know, and to your credit, you were not above playing in a band like Bricks, <laughs> oh, no. which is far from traditional country music sure that you oh, envisioned you re- yourself singing. God, do you remember? I always was telling you, I was like, I'm trying to turn Bricks into my country band, but it didn't work. It, very it, well. it could not work. There's no way that would ever happen. Um, my misguided based, based on me and Andrew and Josh's <laughs> skill set. Yeah. The country was not going to happen. It's okay. But. Um, sort of our demented folk. What would you call that Yeah, now? that was like, I mean, it was kind of a folk, it was kind of a folky. A DIY folk. Yeah. And it was like, <laughs> it was lo-fi. Very lo-fi. I mean, it was like, we recorded, all the Bricks records were recorded in apartments in New York on a four-track cassette right. player. And uh, four-track Tascam, uh, Porta Studio. Um and uh, yeah, it was just, I mean, to me, like, that's what, I, mean, I just did an interview a couple of days ago, and the guy said, which is not an uncommon question, so when you started Merge and started, you know, Super Chunk, like, did you envision, is this what you envision, like, having the label this many years later or right. whatever? And of course not. I mean, that would be a weird right. idea if, if you did <laughs> say that, that you'd envision that. But also, to me, it was just all... It was like bricks. It was just like this will be fun. Let's like let's do this. And as long as right. we're doing it, why not like make something out right. of it? Right. Which I think is something that um, that you were good at. Like I think a lot of us might have hung out and and played music and wild away hours and had fun and kind of had the whole experience without thinking to hit record. Bricks did not perform live very often. That's right. We mainly recorded. We spent a lot of time practicing, actually. A lot we of rehearsing. <laughs> a lot of rehearsing. It's a lot of, um, I would say it was dorm room, but it wasn't even dorm. It was like an apartment. Apartment, band, yeah. You know? A lot of rehearsing. And then 
some recording and then the occasional performance, but our performances we saved for very special occasions. Indeed. We played with Fugazi twice. That's right. That was a big road trip. That was our big yeah. tour, yep. actually. Yep. Because <laughs> we had to Washington, drive to D.C. And, uh, and we, North Carolina also, do we? Or just in New York? Think, we played at, at, at Columbia with Fugazi. Yeah. And I think. Yeah. I think we did Cat's and DC Cradle. And Cat's Cradle. Yeah. yeah. But we also opened for Swans. The Swans at Barnard. So opening for Swans. I'm sorry, in I'm 19... calling them the Swans. The Swans. <laughs> Is that I don't know. Maybe it's the Swan. Maybe back then it was the Swans. <laughs> no, I'm sorry. Uh, I think that opening for the Swans. swans yes. In 1989 or whatever is a pretty good gig. It's a pretty good gig yeah. for a band that basically didn't play out otherwise. That's right. I'm I'm proud of our legacy. And we did. We also played at CB's on New Year's in the gallery one year with HP Zinker. HP Zinker. That is right. So, which I still feel like I have this indelible image of these curly-headed. Yeah, <laughs> they had big hair. Yeah. Uh, um, we almost got signed to Glass Records. That I don't part know if I don't you ever remember. knew that. Yeah. The guy from Glass was interested, and I liked Glass because they put out these um, Jacobites records with Nicky Sutton. Right. Um, but his interest was not sustained. <laughs> <laughs> so, Imagine anyway. that. Well, so it was like, it's a cool, cool run we had there, Matt. Well, yep, it was brief but bright. Kitty Wells dresses Modest and sweet Gingham and ribbon Tied up so neat they weren't made of satin or silk from Perry, but everyone knows they were robes of the queen. Kitty Wells dresses, every girl's dream, from five and dime fabric, robes of the queen. I also listened to part of uh, Kitty Wells' Dresses today. Right. And the song Kitty Wells' Dresses, right. not to denigrate the song, it reminded <laughs> me of a Bricks song. Oh, really? <laughs> in its specificity. Right. Like yeah. you were honing in on like, in a great way, mm-hmm. like this thing that was a very a specific, an item of clothing literally and the materials that it's made of, all this stuff. And it meant something, it represented something bigger. Right. But the way that you addressed it as talking about this really specific thing. Right. Because, I mean, our songs were much um, dumber than that song <laughs> because they weren't. <laughs> but but that was what, that's what the songs often amounted to, sure. is like focusing on some really specific thing, like something that we friend of ours said or something. Or right. like, it was also very inside because they wouldn't necessarily mean anything. Right. Or they wouldn't have the same meaning. But like picking a context. subject that was yeah. specific and then, talking about every possible aspect of it or whatever, you <laughs> right. know what I mean? And turning it into a song somehow that you right. might want to actually listen to. Um, I mean, this is like a much more sophisticated version of that, but I love that song mm-hmm. and the way that you did that. It's not without being sentimental or without, or, or you know what I'm saying? Like without yeah. being maudlin about this person that you love and right. you love their music and stuff like that right it's more ma- it manages to be matter of fact and day to day right while talking about something that's really important to you which is a hard thing to do it is kind of a hard thing to do um 
So we have like girl with the carrot skin, the roots of right, exactly. roots of Kitty Wells dresses. That's what I'm saying. That's, that's what I I'm like getting it. At. I like it. That's I what like I'm it. Getting at. Um, yeah, it took me a long time to figure out. Well, I, I think eventually, like if you, I mean, do you ever think you have that figured out? I mean, it's not so not conscious at some level too. You know, like do I have the skill to encapsulate this thing? But you sort of work with like the images that are. Right. I mean, recurring I th- to you and then s- figure out how to make, how to land on a song from that stuff. That's yeah. And, and to me, part of the, um, uh, conundrum at this point is worrying, like, have I written this song before? <laughs> <laughs> um, you know what I'm saying? Like, because right. if you play guitar and it's like, you know, and you, if you're not reinventing the wheel, uh, which none of us are, then you start to go like, I'm, like literally have to think about it, like make sure I <laughs> haven't like done this exact chord right. thing before, song structure, whatever, um, while simultaneously thinking like, who cares? Like some of my right. favorite, some of my favorite artists, like when you hear a song of theirs within like two bars, you like know who it is, right? But it doesn't bother you because you like that thing right. about them right like you, they're doing you, their move or whatever it is that makes them them yeah but but they managed to make it interesting or you wouldn't still be listening to their records or right. buying their records or whatever um so i no, i don't think that i have it figured out and i don't know if anyone ever feels like that but um to me what is uh more more the thinking not not do i have this figured out but um am i still doing something that's interesting right you know what I'm saying can I still write a song that's interesting and doesn't sound too much like other things I've already written or and but but I feel like at least a couple times per record I have a feeling of I really like this song or like I'm really happy with right this song and there's other songs I mean sorry listening public (laughs) that I just in the end I just think that song could have been better, but right. I didn't know how to make it better. Right. Y- y- you know, like, I love the bridge, or I love... Right. There's certain super chunk songs that everyone in the band agrees we love the intro. <laughs> you know, and it. after that, it's like, ah, uh, we don't really need yeah, to don't play that song. <laughs> so funny. Um, but, uh, but, and to me, one of the hardest things, uh, the as- aspects of that is writing the words. Right. Music, I feel like I could write music all day. Adding words to it, creates this other level of difficulty mm-hmm. in making it feel like you nailed it or like it's right. Right. And that's how you want it to, okay, done, you know, got there with this one. Right. Do you feel like that's, sometimes I've actually, well, we talked about this a little bit because I've, especially my last record decided that instead of toiling in sometimes in kind of agony with a song where I was like, I don't know where else to go with this thing. And I'd done that for many years and been very perfectionistic and not, not, um, you know, and, and it would eventually be like, Oh, I'm just going to put that away because it's mm-hmm. not resolved. And then finally just started to say, I'm going to ask somebody else what they think. I, I, I love that you did that. <laughs> and I love that you asked me and thought I could help, even though I could not help. Oh, Mac, <laughs> believe me, I have not given up Mac McCon. Okay, okay, we're going to, I, you are a man with not so much time. So we're just going to work pre- out the I appreciate schedule. you not giving up. <laughs> I haven't given up at all. But, um, what was the song you wrote with Tracy Ann Campbell? Glass Armor. Oh yeah. That's a good song. Yeah. So and but that was you know usually um or 
at least on the songs from No Way There From Here, a lot of the stuff that's, um, that I did end up writing with other people, I started myself and then kind of got to a point where I didn't know what to do next. Mm-hmm. Um, especially the couple songs with Franklin Bruno, who, you know, he came in and really helped with like... Which songs did you write with uh, Franklin? No Way There and, Spar- and Someday Sparrow. And those both have like chords in them that you wouldn't have if you had been me playing mm-hmm. limited guitar like he's because franklin you know, is like well hey, he's, he's on the piano he's right? on the piano so he, he'd be like well you could go here you could go here and i'm like whoa mm-hmm. I, <laughs> franklin's great yeah. yeah it's too many ideas almost but um but it was great to have just that other perspective of like it opened things up that i couldn't find myself on the neck of the guitar um but in the case of glass armor um that was a song tracy ann sent to me and it is kind of oh, hard mm-hmm. to get something that's like pretty formed and find your way in and find your way in. And it took me like a year of just listening to it. And then I'd be like, Hmm, I don't know. And then I just let it cook and cook, you know, just kind of, it was running in background. I hate using computer metaphors, but, um, you know, I just really had to like wait until I thought I might have a little idea. But then when I did, I was so happy. It like, was was your idea musical and lyrical or there were both. I, I wrote another, I wrote another verse and, and and chorus and I changed the chord progression a little bit. Mm-hmm. And when I changed it to be like the thing that I always do, then I really loved it. And I, I mean, not that I didn't love it before, I, but I felt like it kind of merged her sensibility with mine in a way that mm-hmm. felt like it could be both. Well, it's got to be mine. really satisfying to do. Well, like it's satisfying to write music with the band that everyone's right. contributing thing. Right. And when it all kind of fits together and it feels like this is, this is awesome. You right. Know? Um, but that, but especially if you've worked on it for a year <laughs> and you finally get it, that's well, I wouldn't say there was a lot of good. work. It was more like just listening and waiting almost right. until I could yeah. go like, huh, I might try this. Cause I couldn't, I felt bad. I even felt like I should write her and say, I'm so sorry. Mm-hmm. I haven't. And I was like, no, I'm just going to listen one more time. Yeah. And eventually it kind of, it kind of happened. Um, well, I, um, I love the song no way there from here. And I was, thinking about this when I was listening to it today and thinking about songs that I mean it's super sad right when you're listening to I'm not saying that the end thing of the song is sad but it's like it's a heart yeah tugging song not in like a super not in like an obvious way but just like right it's emotional and well what I like about it is that you don't really know what it's about Right. To me, like it could be about some like your spouse. It could right. be about your kid. And I th- I think songs like that are really interesting because you can put on it whatever you right want to put on it as a as a listener. And then the chorus is just kind of is just a great chorus and it it, it doesn't have to apply to a specific story. You, you know what I mean? But right. but as but like the verses and stuff, you're you're kind of thinking about like what you know, who is she singing this to? Right. What's funny because that, you know, talk about start, starting with something really specific, you know, the, the way the words of that began, like sitting in the dark as a band played on mm-hmm. really did was sitting in a other person's show. And I just got this idea, but it was because I was recognizing what they were doing on stage was based on a James Agee novel. So, oh, wow. <laughs> so it, they were, they had taken lyrics mm-hmm. and what well, it was, it was this, there's a famous classical piece that's like modern classical called Knoxville mm-hmm. 1915. It's a Samuel Barber and somebody's performing that. 
And I didn't realize, I was looking at the program, I was like, I wonder what that's about, Knoxville 1915. And then when they started singing it, I was like, oh, this is Death in the Family. They, the lyrics from this piece are, and it just started me, I don't know, the wheels started turning. So again, it's just, it, it is a little goofy how, to me, sometimes like the, um, you know, does anybody need to know any of that to hear the song? Not no. really. Um, but but it was very literal for me. Like well, and the, I think, you know, I mean, for me, it helps to write it if there's some germ of something that's real. Because right. otherwise, you're just kind of like, you just feel like you're adding bullshit on bullshit. <laughs> right. you, you know what I mean? But at the same time, you know, people in my bands or friends or Andrea, my wife, or my kids will say, like, what's this song about? And right. almost always, it's not about one right. thing. No. And so, which is hard to explain to someone. It's like, yeah, but you said it was about, like, you started writing it and watching this band play this song that had lyrics from James Agee novel. It's like, yeah, that's not what the song is about. <laughs> you know what I mean? Right. So, like, it, I, it's like, it's interesting how it can, can and almost needs to have some thing rooted in reality, but right. then it, it's never, I mean, at least for me anyway, it's never about some one specific, almost right. never about one specific thing, you know? You know, I used to be frustrated sometimes. I took a voice lesson for a long time, and I really loved my teacher, but she would be really, um, sometimes I would be working on a song, and she'd stop me and say, okay, well, who are you singing to? And what? And she's like, just get really specific, make a character, and da da da, da and all this stuff. And sometimes it would frustrate me because I felt like, well, what if the character is just that I fucking want to sing today? You know, like... yeah. Like I just feel like singing, and I want. And this is the song I'm singing. But, <laughs> like, well, I think to not be what... so method actory about it. Like, but to my point being that, like, you know, you can have like these things, and they have meaning, or they have a starting point of how the they became a song. But then there's also this space to inject your own desire to just express yourself in it, and it might it might be that that can have different colors and varieties on different days and different whatever sure. so. it manifests itself yeah even the same song can manifest itself in different ways yeah. but the the reason when someone says what's that song about you know like you were playing it on stage and you were like singing really loud and yeah. <laughs> you, you know what i mean like you seemed really into it right how could it not be about something right but it's more it's more about an emotion or something, right. you know, which, like you said, could be different each time you sing it. But um, I remember I reading an interview with Martin Phillips from The Chills when he was talking about that, how, you know, if you have that feeling one time, whatever that feeling is, whether it's frustration or, you know, um, excitement or, or anything, if you have that feeling one time and you, and you incorporate it into a song, like you should be able to, or you, you hope that you can get there again right. every time you play that song. Not that you maybe can, right. but, but, you're, but you would like to in terms of like performing the song right. in, the most, in, in the fullest way, right. you know, um, which is also similar to what Sammy Hagar said, <laughs> really? which is that, you know, if a girl breaks up with you when you're 15 years old, like you can write a song about that for the rest of your life. <laughs> I guess there are some so, primal things that you, you can replicate I'm that just emotion. Saying, Sammy and Martin, they're two peas they're, in a pod. Yeah, they're they're on the same wavelength. They there. really are. Oh my gosh, well, I've always thought that. <laughs> oh my goodness. I was sitting in the dark. 
as the band played on listening to the words of an old southern song it was a january day but it felt just like june i could feel the heat of the house getting late in the day your hand in mine as we made our way cool green grass where we lay right But there's no way there from here. No bridge across the ocean. For me and for, for Superchunk and even Bricks, the idea of um, making a recording in your, in your apartment and then putting out a record of it or a cassette or whatever at the time uh, grew out pretty naturally from punk scene and people putting out their own right. records and things like that. Right. But when we finished school and I went off to do that and you went off to make country records. Right. To me, that's a whole other, how do you, you know what I'm saying? Like, what is the, what is the thing that existed as your model? We had a model. Right. Y'all had a model. There wasn't that much of one. Although, I mean, I think I had a few different things that I had in mind and things that I was aware of, like, um, you know, the, uh, in the you know, mid eighties, like Steve Earle put out and he still was on a major label, but you know, he had, uh, stuff that came out through the Nashville system that was definitely not, um, you know, the mainstream country thing. And there were several right. artists that were like that. You could say David Allen Coe, <laughs> maybe not David Allen Coe. Really he was not main, <laughs> he was not mainstream. Was he? My gosh. I have to di now here's a digression uh -huh. with some details. Um, no, I got, I, I had this crazy day in Nashville where I was home one summer and David Allen Coe famously would drive around. He had a um, white hearse that had David Allen Coe plates on it. Sounds about right. Yeah. And um, I, I, I kept seeing it in traffic and then it was following me for a while. And I was like, what is, <laughs> I've got to shake the David Allen Coe hearse. That's just randomly what Nashville could wow. be like. Yeah. It's just a weird town that, that weird. way. Yeah. Um, but anyway. Oh, right. So, so in other words, like if we were saying, oh, we want to be like K Records or right. Teen Beat or right. uh, there, Sub Pop or that something. That didn't exist like, yet in right. terms of, I mean, there were maybe if I'd been super aware, like you could have looked at what. Um, There's like some Hoboken stuff that had a, right. a, a roots. Right. I mean, someone like, like beat, beat, uh, beat Rodeo or things like that were yeah. like country-ish. Country-ish. I mean, you could even maybe look at. Like, you know, people putting out singer-songwriters or, you know, um, you know, something like Lucinda being on sure. uh, the Folkways label or something. As, but even that is like a big... It's a big thing. It's Rico it's, and know, Folkways were like yeah. very established, even Sugar yeah. Hill, things like that. That's like establishment. That's not really... Well, it wasn't. It wasn't. Like, it was... Um, it was organized and an entity that like was run by grownups. <laughs> right. <laughs> you know? I guess that's the difference that I'm saying. But, yeah. Yeah. but at the same time, like I, I could recognize like what Lucinda was doing was not like a, a, um, it was not what mainstream the country doing. product. Right. And it was something different that still very 
you know, evolved and, um, you know, high quality of craft and all this stuff, but it was something that was not, um, intended even to be right. on the she radio. She wasn't trying to reach Re- Reba's fans. No, not at all. She was doing her own, finding her own doing people. Her own thing, yeah. and it was this blend of all these different styles of stuff. And so I think I had people like that that I thought, well, it would be really cool to have the skills to do that, like that, make that kind of statement even with your music. Um, you know, I felt recognized I was very far away from being able to do that, but, um, you know, could see that as something that you would try to do. And I probably have tried tried I put in quotes to, to write certain versions of things that I thought Lucinda did you know because mm-hmm. you know I just admire her work um you did a Lucinda song on which on, record? on the Matador record we did um an old song of hers that she had never released um I think she even wrote it when she was living in New York called mm-hmm. letters um but yeah there wasn't that um I mean in fact just watching what you guys were doing. I mean, you, even at Columbia were putting out, I remember you stuffing like, you know, it seemed like you were stuffing sleeves and, mm-hmm. <laughs> and, and, uh, you know, what was that little box? I bought one. It was like a box of seven inches that oh, was all North Carolina bands. Yeah. The, it was called evil. I do not to nod. Yes. I live. And it was five bands and five singles. Right. Um, that we put out before merge started. Right. That yeah. was like a pre way pre-merge exactly. thing. Yeah. Like the black girls and mm-hmm. black girls slush puppies and wax were the two bands that I was in. Right. Um, a band called egg. Uh, and, um, Oh gosh, you're going to remember it. Oh <laughs> gosh. I can't believe I'm forgetting this other band. You can look at Keep up. talking. <laughs> well, I'll, I'll, while you're looking, I'll just say that, that, that was happening. And it wasn't until I kind of met some people in New York bands after Columbia that had figured out, oh, there's, we could press our own 45s. And there was, you know, a couple of labels that started doing that, um, you know, very much following on the example of what was happening in indie rock. Um, oh, the Angels of Epistemology were the oh, there fifth you band. <laughs> who we ended up putting out a record of theirs on merch. Anyway. Yeah. So, um, I well, did, and your husband Jeremy had a label. Right, he had a label. Had, had they started that label? When did when did um, that was probably 1990. Okay, so it was right around. Um, and then our pals in Chicago um, started Bloodshot, and we're doing yeah. you know, and that that I think they probably launched pretty quickly right into CDs, like you know. So I felt like, but those are good analogs. Yeah, of what we're talking about. Yeah, yeah, that was that was like what grew out of that moment where you know it wasn't a country thing per se, but then it might as well have been, you know, it, it mm-hmm. could be just that as much as any other kind of genre if it, somebody wanted to put stuff out. Um, although I didn't, uh, I don't think I ever, other than being on bricks, we did a 45. We did a, we did two 45s, Laura. Yeah. So and, excuse me. <laughs> uh, and a compact disc. What about the, <laughs> and a cassette, the, the getting wet part? What was that? That that's was a 45. That's the 45. Inch, yeah. yeah. And girl with carrot skin was a 45. Yeah. yeah. Um, no, those... That was your first appearance on, on record. Yes, it was. Both skin. Yes. <laughs> proud to You're this proud day. Yeah. Um, but yeah, no, that those those uh, that indie model kind of it 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 caught up with, you know, with what had been already going mm-hmm. on in, in indie rock, ultimately. But um, yeah, it wasn't wasn't um, as obvious. I think right away. Right. Right. I I have all your records and I've listened to all your records, but I think it's interesting. I mean, I always like it. 
because I'm old. <laughs> when someone's most recent record is my favorite record, because that gives me hope. <laughs> <laughs> um, but you're, there's something about the uh, No Way There From Here that feels just more you. Right. I think that's, I, I would say so that... Would you agree with that? I would agree with that. Um, do you think that has something to do with recording it in Nashville? Do you think it's just experience? I think it's experience. Um, I think it was the, you know, I hadn't made a record in a long time, so I had more of my own material. How many years between? Um, it was eight, probably. Mm, so, mm-hmm. you know, I had... Um, that is a long time between put out records. the Matador record in 2005, and then I got pregnant. And mm-hmm. then I, you know, was kind of, I did Kitty Wells you know, after about five years okay. when Bella was little. And then I was like, I got to get, figure out making another record. And by that time I had, had, um, stockpiled some songs and song ideas. And so I think that's why, and I was very conscious of that when I, when it was time to record, I thought, you know, this is important to do in a way that re- kind of reflects me, you know, mm-hmm. and not, not just like a group of people that I've been playing music with in one place for one amount of time or whatever so it was a little you know the choice to go do it in Nashville was part of that you know kind yeah. of claiming the Nashville identity you know in a positive way instead of kind of running away from it right did you um, feel like you were running away from it for your first few records no but I, I actually felt really awkward about Nashville just because it's so filled with you know broken dreams uh, yes Every, every Uber driver's got a song for you, man. No, it's, um, it's just, it's such a professional's town, you know? I mean, it's more than that now, but in terms of country music, it's a business, it's a business business. and it, and you could very easily be judged to not be relevant to that business. And Mm -hmm. I felt like early on, like, you know, the, the, um, it was just more, much more comfortable to like do my thing at a remove from that. Sure. Um, and, uh, you know, and it, it was great that I, you know, was able to find an audience that also was like, oh, we get this, it's country music, you know, not have it be, have to be sort of ordained by, you know, a Nashville thing, entity of some kind. But, um, but finally, when I made the Kitty Wells record, I actually felt like, Oh, who gives a shit? I'm from Nashville, you know. Yeah. Kitty's from Nashville. I can go make this record in Marky yeah. Never's living room with Chris Scruggs and And that was that the first one you did with Marky? First At, one I did with Marky. Uh, what's the name of his studio? Beach yeah, House. Beach House, right. You know, where the Lamb Chop and a bunch of folks, you know. Clientele made a record there. Un- oh, really? On Merge, yeah. Um, and Mount Mariah on Merge did a record there. And yeah. then, you know, they've got, you know, Andrew Bird and... Will Oldham, Oldham has done some stuff. He's there. done a, yeah. a few things there. Mm-hmm. So plus then Charlie Leuven, Bobby Bear, a mm-hmm. bunch of great country old timers have also used the studio. And I just felt like this is the right place that kind of combines like the um, deep knowledge of like what country is and and also this kind of great um, I mean, attitude I about it. I was going to say, Mark's, Mark's attitude yeah. is... <laughs> Is more punk rock than absolutely than country, I, you know. Yeah, and so it doesn't and doesn't have to be defined by like mm-hmm. you know some you know trying to be country one way or the other. It's just like sh- do it that way. It's yours. Call it country or not. Like what the fuck? Yeah, I mean, I think that that in in general, um, after making records for a long time, that is the, the there are certainly downsides to have, having made a ton of records 
terms of what we were talking about before and trying making sure you're not repeating yourself and you know trying to keep it fresh and exciting for your for yourself as much as for anyone but one of the good things is that if if you can get to the place where you don't give a shit <laughs> then it's very freeing if you know if you're just like I'm making a record because I want to make a record and it's going to be fun and it's going to be good I'm going to make it good because that's I, I know right. how to do that but you're not doing it because there's an expectation i mean you know super chunk didn't make a record for nine years and i made records in between but when we came back the only pressure was from ourselves because no one probably thought we were going to make another record so obviously you have the idea well if you're gonna take nine years off don't make a record if it's going to be a shitty one (laughs) (laughs) that would that that would be lame but you know like because people would say why bother but um but again, if there's if the expectations aren't 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 there from the outside world, you can just be like, oh, this is a different feeling right. than when you're in this cycle of every two years. What's Has, this record going to be like? Right, and what's now the fig- story going to be? Figure out a way to talk record. about right. this record. Right, like you know? what's our narrative? Oh my god, it's so exhausting. <laughs> um, the narrative is we made a record. You talked about uh, um, how, and I, I I appreciate this, like recognizing like that no way there from here. It's kind of my most like fully me thing. But I felt like that when listening to last. It feels confident and it super, feels comfortable. But like you're comfortable doing it. But I felt that way with the last super chunk record, and there was like this, you know, kind of quality of expression in it that was really mm-hmm. direct and at the same time I didn't have to know every detail I didn't have to understand every detail right. to know what the emotional impact was of the songs and you know does that did that feel more kind of grown up to you or more sort of were, were you was it were you conscious of that or I mean I try to be conscious of um in other words part of me you know just write songs all the time or makes demos and things right. like that. But part of me when I'm actually making a record thinks about the lyrics and wants them to be better than the lyrics on the last record right. or then at least better than lyrics from 20 years ago, you know? <laughs> um, and, uh, and I feel like that process of not, I, I still don't rework things. Like I still don't, scribble out 50 right. verses before right. I get the one that I like you know I'm just mm-hmm. not I don't have the patience but I feel like in that stretch of time from and I always wanted them to be good obviously but I feel like in that stretch of time between here's the shutting up in 2001 and then over the next few portostatic records which you sang on the third one right. of those um be still please uh I feel like I was trying to write lyrics that were not more literal mm-hmm. but more uh, focused or something, mm-hmm. you, you know, more, um, again, it's, it's so hard to talk about lyrics because yeah. you can't say like, well, I wanted them to be more meaningful, <laughs> but, but, well, but, you could say that. but, but just less, 
it's very easy if you're halfway through a song, at least for me, on the first few records, halfway through a song and you really like the first verse and the chorus to just be like, oh, yeah. second verse? Yeah. Um, yeah. You start looking around. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> um, that's good enough. <laughs> that's good enough. It's about those grapes. Uh, yeah, and, and, and I felt like I was trying to just pare things away mm-hmm. in, in, in a way um, and have things be more direct. Again, not literal, but just more right. direct. And I feel like at least on some of the last couple of Superchunk records, um, it was like that. And, and you know, uh, the, the, sec- the second of those two records, uh, the Majesty Shredding, I think, was really about, was a little bit about fandom and mm-hmm. being in a band and, you know, music that you like and stuff. And the second one's called I Hate Music. Right. And that was more about death and getting Real. older and right. like losing friends and things like that, which sounds like it is very specific. It is, maybe it is easier to write songs when you're <laughs> writing about something really specific. Um, but you still got to figure out a way to write about it in a non, right. That's not going to a way that's just not super literal right. or, or like I said, maudlin or whatever, you know what I mean? Because no one wants to hear that like super downer. Right. Um, I mean, I like sad songs, but not to like beating you over the head with the, you know, grotesqueries of right. life. Well, it's funny because, you know, I mean, I'm sorry. Um, uh, just, you know, seeing you last year at Hi-Fi doing by yourself, um, Jackie Matu, you know, mm-hmm. and it's like, there's a lot of sadness in that song, but it's a triumphant thing to hear it played. Like, you know what I mean? It's almost like it's not the the, the emotion you walk away with is like, you know, something very alive you know it's not like right and I think that that's what I mean I think that comes from punk rock I think yeah. that that's what when you're listening to a, a Who's Do song or something uh it's just like it's a lot of like intensity and sadness and catharsis yeah. and all this stuff but at the same time it like doesn't make you want to go like mope away it. yeah, yeah it's like yeah. boom you know right. it's like got a real impact that's like and I like that combination of you know, this part is dark and then this, this part is super energetic or, right. or rocking or whatever. Um, it's in a way, well, it just becomes like more, I'm, I'm going to be sappy, but it feels very affirming. It's like you walk out and you go like, oh yeah, I got that like viscerally, you know, the, the impact of that song. And like, I can, you know, it's just, it's energizing or something like it, right. it makes you feel like, okay. Well, and I think that, and I think that I've always taken the approach of, uh, writing songs that I would want to hear mm-hmm. as a fan, you know, and copying <laughs> bands that I liked, you know, <laughs> starting with the first Super Chunk record. Um, and and that's the feeling that I would get from seeing, you know, we were talking about The Chills before, seeing a band like The Chills live, you know, like you don't necessarily have any idea what those songs are about. Um, Dan, Destiny, and the Silver Dawn, or whatever that you know, like. But it's like when you see it live, it's like it makes you feel a certain way, and it's very mm-hmm. exciting. Um, so that's, I mean, that's. I, I think that that's. A, I think that's a goal in mm-hmm. a way with with our records, you know, um, and with and with and with performing, yeah. in a way, you know, because I don't like seeing bands that look like they don't want to be there. Right. I don't need to see someone who's like going crazy. Right. But I mean, you can be. Um, you can be presenting whatever you're doing in a way that's that's subtle, but you still feel like the person is like present, you, right? You know, there's a purpose to them being there and doing it. 
Yeah, as opposed to the purpose is that it was the next date on our tour. Right. And sometimes <laughs> you just feel like that, and that's right. what, what happens. But um, but it's weird because the Nonbelievers, which is my most recent record, is almost all, I mean, it was almost all of it was written on keyboards. I mean, there's a lot of guitars on the record. It ends up being a lot of guitars on the record. but right. And so that's very um, non-performative for me because right. I... I mean, I can record that. I can't, can't play, play that, that live, live and, yeah. and we don't, and I don't try to. Um, but in some ways, I like the idea of writing and recording songs and making a record where it's not about because it's easy. It, it's it's. I'm not saying it's like a a crutch, but it is a crutch to just be like, well, this song is like I don't really have good words for it. <laughs> but if we just play it really loud and fast, like. <laughs> Someone's going to feel it. You know right, what I mean? Right, right, so, right. Um, and sometimes you just have to get over that way. But uh, I like the idea of more like the songs being, uh, they're still like linear songs with verses and chorus right. and stuff like that. But trying to create the impact in a, in a, in a subtler way. Yeah. And, and, well, and leaving and keep- space, which is not something I'm, I've always had trouble. I like it when I listen to other people who have a lot of space right. in their music, but I've never been able to really do that. Right. Well, even just like having the keyboard, is just a different, it's a little bit different language than the guitar. Mm-hmm. So you get, or, or maybe that's not the right metaphor, but whatever it's, you know. It makes you, you write you, differently. Yeah, you, to, you totally, you know, hear things differently. They, you know, it resonates differently. And you do kind of want to like, um, you know, let some things ring out in a different yeah. way than, you know, when you're, especially if you're playing electric guitar as opposed to acoustic guitar. I mean, I'm not super um, advanced on the guitar anyway, so I can't do what a lot of people go like, oh, those, would you play those uh, open G or whatever? Like, right. and I'm like... <laughs> some other voicing or something, <laughs> yeah, some other like, tunings. I have no idea what No, but I think is. you're right. And I mean, to me, even picking up a different guitar than you normally play can right. make you just right. write a different kind of song. Right. So it, I think that you're right about that. Like having keyboards in some ways makes you think, wow, I could write 10 more songs right. and it won't, none of it will sound like my last right. 10 records or whatever. And, and it's especially weird when you, uh, well, it's, it's kind of funny also when you do that. And then for me, I thought, okay, now I have to learn how to play these on guitar so I can play them live. Right. And then you realize, oh, I'm still just playing like D A G D. It's just that it sounds cooler because it's on this synthesizer. <laughs> well, I'm still just using the same three chords I always use. Oh my. Um, but uh, but it, it's fun it's fun to write and record in a different way. I think it really just leads to 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 writing different different kinds of songs. Right.
Oh, I have a question for you. Okay. What um what is your what are your daughter's favorite uh bands? Oh, her favorite bands. You know, it's funny. Um this is a totally true story. Uh Ringo Starr is playing on Halloween mm. and she um we just kind of re- realized that and Jeremy's been showing her some um like of the Beatles uh cartoon that they had mm. and also you know, Yellow Submarine and blah blah blah. So and so she was like, Mom, is there a meet and greet thing for that Ringo Starr show? Wow. <laughs> She's going straight to like, can I just meet a Beatle or? Yeah. And I was like, well, you, you have to put that in context. Like, because Jeremy's up at Sirius, like every other day there's a thing. And, you know, she got to go meet Taylor Swift last year. So, you know, it is. Right. She has some experience with meeting her people. Exactly. Yeah. So, but I, I, you know, at first I was like the dang little brat, you know, wants to go yeah. see if she can get in line to meet Ringo. But then I was like, well, at least she was like asking about meeting a beetle, you know, right. as opposed to, I mean, she did, she went to see Katy Perry last year. It's funny. She's not super dialed into bands mm-hmm. yet, you know? Um, I mean, she's, I, I think just like a lot of her kids in her school, like they all know the frozen soundtrack and they know, mm-hmm the songs that are in Madagascar and all the little kids movies and wait, how old is she again? She's nine. Okay. So, so she's, so Arthur, who's Arthur's eight and our daughter's 12. So she's a little older. So she's more into, she's into, believe me, she's into Taylor. Right. Oh, I'm sure. Um, and, and Lord, uh, and some other people that sound like Lord and, um, but she's also into bands like, um, uh, fallout boy, right. Five seconds of summer, like kind of, I get those names all jumbled. Punky, punky. Punk pop. Punk, yeah. yeah. Um, but the Beatles are, are still a constant, and Arthur especially is into the Beatles. Like when it's his turn to pick a pick song the in the song, car, yeah. like he often picks a Beatles song, usually either Help or um, Here Comes the Sun. But no matter how many times we tell him that two of the Beatles are not alive, he'll just, <laughs> about halfway through, he'll be like, you think the Beatles will ever get back together? <laughs> oh. I wish. It's, yeah, um, it's so funny. But it's, I'm glad that the desire is there yeah. for, for, for them uh, to get back together. Um, but uh, yeah, so Una's taking guitar lessons now, and so oh, she's wow. trying to learn some Taylor Taylor's songs. probably a good, a good place to start yeah. for, um, you know, I'm sure there's many, many uh, guitars getting sold to young Taylor, mm-hmm. Taylor wannabes, yeah. you know, um, which is hopefully a good thing so um but yeah that that that's basically what she's she's still like figuring out what she's into but every now and again she'll ask me when she hears uh a female country singer she'll go mama that's not dolly is it i'm like listen again (laughs) (laughs) and then her other question is um so who's the who's the new queen of country music gonna be now that kitty wells is dead wow it's very that little literal thing that's amazing of kids who's next in line for the throne (laughs) um and and then um i i'm just i'm gonna tell you this and it's gonna sound goofy but um we were at a folk festival there's a festival up on the hudson that pete seeger was um involved with when he was alive called Clearwater and I played it a couple years ago and also the same year I played it uh the Nora Jones trio called Puss in Boots played Mm -hmm. and my husband um is a big Nora Jones fan so we uh we went and you know tried to wave at her backstage and Jeremy was trying to get Bella to meet her and Mm -hmm. it was all kind of 
uh, here's our beautiful daughter, shake her hand. Um, but then the other day I heard Jeremy, the, a Nora song came up on the iPod and he said, um, to Bella, remember that, that woman that you met at mama's show and blah, blah, blah. And he said, that's her on the iPod. You know, she's one of the greats. And Bella just turned to him and she's like, I thought mama was one of the greats. <laughs> and I was like, yes, yes she is. Ka-ching. Yes, she is. Good. I, right answer. Good kid. line, Bella. Yeah. <laughs> that's right. Yeah, you know what you're doing. Exactly. Just work that. Just keep working that. So. Well, uh, maybe we can get our daughters together. They can. Yes. Do a do guitar and cello uh, duets on Band. some uh, Taylor Swift songs. That sounds good. Sounds good. That sounds right. good. Mac, it's been so cool to get to hang out with you. I and, always and hear love about seeing you, and I don't see you enough. That's so right. thank you to the Talk House <laughs> for giving us an excuse Indeed. to just sit down and Indeed. talk. And that's it for this edition of the TalkHouse Music Podcast. Thanks to our producer-engineer, Elia Einhorn. For more TalkHouse Music Podcasts, by all means visit our SoundCloud page or subscribe to our podcasts on iTunes. And to read smart, notable musicians writing about new music, please do visit thetalkhouse.com music.